Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Today I have for you Return to the Synod in Germany. The church in Germany is more influential in Rome than perhaps any other national bishops' conference, maybe with the exception of America, due to the immense wealth of the church in Germany. The synod in Germany will have wide-ranging consequences for the church more broadly, with highly influential members of the German Episcopate holding key offices in the Roman Curia and many having Francis's ear. The moves in Germany have been far-sighted, with a goal to make the church adopt pretty much all the values and standards of the secular world, to conform the church to the world. Nowhere has the synod of synodality taken a more strident turn than in Germany, and instead of chastising the German bishops for trying to change the faith into something new, Francis actually sent them warm regards and embraced the synodal process in Germany. He has endorsed it, though before he did try to curb it. I don't know what changed his mind. Whether that means he will adopt for the universal church the errors of the German bishops is another story. Now, before I get to that, I rarely echo sentiments expressed by Francis, but he recently suggested that Catholics should fast on Ash Wednesday for peace. Well, frankly, that might be a good idea, but we should unite our Ash Wednesday penitential offerings in general for that intention, as well as for the expiation for our own sins and the sins of the hierarchy in this time, including Francis, because everything we're seeing going on, the sudden real turn towards darkness that everybody's aware of, is a result of sin. And... I'm going to include Francis there because his, Pac his Pac-Man Mama debacle is what opened these floodgates to begin with. Now that's going to be my only comment on the moment for the events going on in the broader world. So please, on Ash Wednesday, pray and fast for peace in addition to the usual Ash Wednesday reasonings for prayer and fasting. Back to the topic at hand. One bishop in Poland has had enough, and he has penned a letter to the German bishops asking them to stop their descent into error. That bishop is Archbishop Stanislaw Gadecki, the head of the Polish Bishops' Conference. From time to time, I will publish a letter from good bishops on various topics of, that are pertinent to the day, and that's what I'm doing here. He wrote a letter to the German Bishops' Conference and addressed it to Bishop George Botzing, the head of the German Bishops' Conference. The letter is a critical one because here he lays out the entirety of the errors and risks to the Church if the most influential conference of German bishops moves forward with the errors that they've already endorsed. It's worth noting here that Archbishop Gadecki isn't what anyone would call a traditional bishop. He's more in line with a moderate take on the hermeneutic of continuity than anything else. And he frequently quotes Francis's more Catholic-sounding statements to make his point, while extensively quoting and paraphrasing sacred scripture and official Vatican documents. That having been said, what he says here is important, that to change the church would court disaster. I have his letter for you in full, translated from German, here and now. Dear Bishop George, the Catholic Church in Germany and the Catholic Church in Poland are linked by a common history of more than a thousand years. The story grows out of the deposit of the apostolic faith in Jesus Christ, which placed in the hands of St. Peter, was handed down to the successors of the apostles, the bishops who lead, teach, and sanctify each local church. 
But I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the underworld will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 to 19. This religious community is expressed, among other things, in the figures of saints, which are venerated by both Polish and German Catholics. I am thinking of St. Baron von Kierfort, St. Hedwig of Silesia, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, or St. Maximilian Maria Kolbe. Also of particular importance in our relationship is the exchange of letters on forgiveness, which marks the beginning of an important and much-needed process of reconciliation after, after the difficult experiences of the Second World War. This process was supported by both Carol Wotia and Blessed Stefan Cardinal Wazinski. In later years, it found its concrete expression in, the, in spiritual and material support. For all these reasons, the Catholic Church in Germany is very close and very important to me. In view of this community of faith and history between Poland and Germany, I would like to express my deep concern at the information that has recently been heard from certain sections of the Catholic Church in Germany. Allow me, therefore, in the spirit of Christian charity, to address this letter to you, as the head of the German Bishops' Conference, full of brotherly concern in the spirit of shared responsibility for the good of the holy apostolic faith entrusted to us by Christ. As pastors of the Church, we are aware that there is spiritual warfare going on in the world. Quote, For we have not to fight against men of flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the evil spirits in the heavenly realms. See Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Christ achieved victory over Satan, and it is the task of the Church to make that victory a reality in the world. Allow me, dear brother in the Episcopate, to share my concern about the validity of the theses put forward by some sections of the Catholic Church in Germany, particularly in relation to the so-called synodal path. The Temptation to Seek the Fullness of Truth Outside the Gospel The Catholic Church in Germany is important on the map of Europe, and I am aware that it will radiate either its faith or its disbelief across the continent. That is why I am concerned about what has been done so far on the German synodal path. Looking at its fruits, one can get the impression that the basis of reflection is not always the gospel. This has happened time and again throughout history. Just think of the so-called Jefferson Bible. The American head of state claimed that the Gospels contain phrases that are very wise and sublime, which certainly came straight from Jesus, but also phrases that are foolish and trivial, so they must come from uneducated apostles. Convinced that he had the criteria to distinguish one sentence from another, he decided to do it with scissors. In this way, a modern apocryphal text was created, which, in its author's opinion, was better than the original. It cannot be ruled out that the proprium Christianum, that which is unique to Christianity, is expressed precisely in these demanding fragments of the Bible which fell under the Jefferson scissors. The temptation to believe in the infallibility of the social sciences. One of the temptations in the church today is constantly confronting the teaching of Jesus with current developments in psychology and the social sciences. When something in the gospel does not agree with the current state of knowledge in these sciences, the disciples try to update the gospel in order to protect the master from being compromised in the eyes of his contemporaries. The temptation to modernize is particularly relevant in the area of the identity of the flesh. However, it is forgotten that the state of scientific knowledge often changes, sometimes even dramatically, due to paradigm shifts, for example. Changeability is the nature of science, which only has a fraction of all possible knowledge at its disposal. However, some scientific errors had dramatic consequences. One need only mention scientific theories of the flesh from earlier eras. 
Based on the latest scientific knowledge, the U.S. Congress passed the National Origin Act in 1924, which imposed restrictive movement quotas for Southern and Central Europeans and almost completely banned those from elsewhere. The main reason was the belief that peoples like Italians and Poles were not up to the standards of being in America. On the other hand, in the 20th century in the United States, based on the knowledge of erroneous ideas of the flesh, an estimated 70,000 women belonging to groups not part of the mainstream were forced, were forced to have a Malachian procedure. In this and other cases, one speaks of so-called scientific errors, but there are also ideological deceptions. These underlie, for example, the change in attitudes towards the marital act that can currently be observed. The process of knowledge development does not stop with our generation. The generations that come after us will read some of the books, those on psychology or the social sciences, which are now considered almost infallible and will have to be put aside. How then should the church react to the current state of scientific knowledge and not in order to not repeat mistakes made in relation to Galileo Galilei? This is a serious intellectual challenge that we must face, relying on revelation and the solid achievements of science. The temptation to live with an inferiority complex. I am aware that today's Catholics, not only in Germany, but also in Poland, live under the pressure of public opinion, which creates a kind of inferiority complex in many of them. Disciples of Christ in general, wrote Pope Francis, today are threatened by a kind of inferiority complex that leads them to relativize or hide their Christian identity and beliefs. Finally, they stifle the joy of missionary work in a kind of obsession with being like everyone else and having what everyone else has. See Evangelii Gaudium, paragraph 79. In a speech to the employees of the Roman Curia, Pope Francis emphasized that we no longer live in a Christian system in Europe today. The world has become more pluralistic in many ways. An important reason for this change on the old continent is a deep crisis of faith that has affected many people. Faith is no longer a self-evident prerequisite of general life, but is often even denied, ridiculed, marginalized, and ridiculed. Unfortunately, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. See 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. One does not endure sound teaching, but seeks teachers according to one's own desires. See 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. True to the teachings of the church, we must not give in to the pressures of the world or to the models of the prevailing culture, which can lead to the moral and spiritual corruption. Let us avoid repeating the hackneyed slogans and standard demands such as the abolition of clerical celibacy, the priesthood of women, communion for the the, the marital covenant being broken and, and reunited, or the blessing of James Martin pairings. Updating the definition of marriage in the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights is no reason to tamper with the gospel. The Temptation of Corporate Thinking I know that the church in Germany is losing more and more believers and that the number of priests is decreasing from year to year. She is therefore looking for ways to keep the faithful committed and to encourage young people to choose the priesthood. In doing so, however, she seems to be exposed to the risk of entrepreneurial thinking. There is a shortage of staff. We should lower the recruitment criteria. Therefore, the postulate of lifting the obligation of priestly celibacy was included in the text, Promise of Celibacy in the Ministry of the Priest, which was dealt with in the first readings of February 4th of this year at the Assembly of the Synodal Path in Frankfurt. The answer to your question of the relationship between the requirement of priestly celibacy and the number of vocations was already given by Pope Paul VI when he said, quote, We are not inclined to believe that the abolition of ecclesiastical celibacy would immediately lead to a significant increase in the number of priestly vocations. The current practice of churches and other religious communities which allow their clergy to marry seems to show the opposite. See Sacerdotalis Celebitis, paragraph 49. The causes of the crisis lie elsewhere. 
We clerics have often become mere expert on various social and green policies, which certainly does not require celibacy. But as Pope Francis emphasizes, Christ does not need clergymen who are obsessively preoccupied with their free time and who have an urgent need to preserve their freedoms, as if an evangelistic mandate were a dangerous poison rather than a joyful response to the love of God that brings us to the world. Believers deserve priests who are totally at the service of Christ. Christ calls his disciples to be with him. See Mark chapter 3, verse 14. What draws people to the church and priesthood is not an offer of easy living, but the example of a life wholly consecrated to God. In this context, the German synodal path also took up the question of women's ordination and voted on the text, Women in Services and Offices in the Church, on the 4th of February in Frankfurt. This question was finally clarified by John Paul II. Quote, So that all doubt may be removed as to the important matter concerning the divine constitution of the church itself, I declare by virtue of my office to strengthen the brethren that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer ordination to the priesthood on women and that all the faithful of the church must definitively abide by this decision. See John Paul II, Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, paragraph 4. Pope Francis has repeatedly reminded us of this, and as far as the ordination of women is concerned, the church has spoken out and said no. John Paul II definitively said it. That gate is closed, but on this matter, I want to tell you something. I've said it before, but I'll repeat it. Our Lady, Mary, was more important than the apostles, bishops, and deacons, and priests. A woman in the church is more important than bishops and priests. See Francis's conference on the flight from Rio de Janeiro on July 28, 2013. In the modern world, equality is often misunderstood and equated with uniformity. Any difference will be treated as a sign of discrimination. In addition, the priesthood is sometimes misunderstood as a source of government and ecclesiastical career rather than humble service. In his teaching on the sacrament of holy orders reserved for men, John Paul II referred to the will of Christ and to tradition, pointing to the so-called gender complementarity. Women played a very important role in the life of Jesus. Besides James and John, there is also Mary and Martha. They were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Finally, we have the Blessed Virgin Mary, without whose consent the mystery of the Incarnation would not have taken place. Although Christ went against the accepted norms of the relationship between men and women in his society, as in his conversation with the Samaritan woman, he left no doubt whatsoever that the priesthood is a vocation exclusively for men. However, this did not prevent women from playing as important and sometimes perhaps even more important roles in the church than men. The list of female saints who have significantly influenced the fortunes of the church is long. These include St. Hildegard of Bingen, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Hedwig, Queen of Poland, St. Teresa of Avila, and St. Faustina. In addition, one of the four forums on the synodal path voted on a working document, Living in Successful Relationships, which promotes the erroneous and scandalous practice of blessing James Martin pairings and attempts to bring the church's teaching on certain sins to in, be in line with the world. The Catechism makes a clear distinction between such inclinations and acting on them. The church teaches respect for every human being regardless of their inclinations, but clearly condemns these activities as contrary to nature. See Romans chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Despite outrage, ostracism, and unpopularity, the Catholic Church, faithful to the truth of the gospel, while being driven by love for every human being, cannot remain silent to condone this false image of humanity, much less bless or encourage it. The inadmissibility of blessing James Martin Parings was recalled by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in its letter of February 22, 2021. Quote, Therefore, in order to conform to the nature of the sacramentals, it is necessary that when a blessing is evoked upon some human relationships, apart from the right intention of those who participate, the reality to be blessed is objectively and positively ordered, 
to receive and express the grace and the service of God's purpose, inscribed in creation and fully revealed by Christ the Lord. Only that which in itself is ordained to serve these purposes is compatible with the nature of the blessing bestowed by the church. For this reason, such is not allowed. The Temptation to Bow to the Pressure The current crisis of the church in Europe is above all a crisis of faith. To talk about God, we must first talk to God who lives in the depths of our heart where we taste the truth. The crisis of faith is one of the reasons why the church has difficulty proclaiming clear theological and moral teaching. The authority of the Pope and bishops is most needed when the church is going through difficult times and when it is under pressure to deviate from the teaching of Jesus. When she experiences similar dramas as the Christians in Galatia, she must say this emphatically, there is no other gospel. There are only some who confuse you and who want to falsify the gospel of Christ. See Galatians chapter 1 verse 7. Pope Paul VI, under pressure for his position on barriers to life, as expressed in the encyclical Humanae Vitae, wrote, quote, Shall the moral law be lowered to the level of what men usually do, and so morality to the level of customs, which, by the way, can be even worse tomorrow than today, and where we will end up then? Or, on the contrary, is it necessary to maintain a high level of the ideal even when it is difficult to attain, even when ordinary people feel unable to or guilty to attain it? I think that along with all the sages, heroes, and saints, I would say, all true friends of human nature and true human happiness, believers and non-believers, even if they protest and resist, give thanks in their hearts to the authority that has enough light, power, and confidence not to lower the ideal. Neither the prophets of Israel nor the apostles of the church have ever bothered to weaken the ideal, nor have they softened the concept of perfection, nor have they attempted to close the distance between the ideal and nature. They have never limited the concept of sin, quite the opposite. End quote. Similarly, Pope Francis wrote, quote, Faith being one, it must be confessed in all its purity and integrity, precisely because all the articles of faith are united in unity. To deny any of them, even those that seem less important, is to betray the whole. Every epoch experiences that certain aspects of the faith are easier or more difficult to accept. It is therefore important to be vigilant so that the whole of the faith is passed on. See 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. So that all aspects are adequately addressed of the profession of faith as past, inasmuch as the unity of faith is the unity of the church, to take something away from the faith is in fact to take something from the truth of communion. See Lumen Fide, paragraph 48, end quote. Dear brother in the Episcopate, our attitude towards the world cannot be fundamentally negative because Christ did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. See John chapter 12, verse 47. God does not want the sinner to die, but to convert and live. Our job is to find effective ways to persuade people to repent. Therein lies the mercy of God. When Jesus saw the crowd, he felt sorry for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he taught them long. See Mark chapter 6, verse 34. This phrase does not mean that there were no shepherds in Israel at the time entrusted with the care of God's sheepfold. However, there was a serious danger that if the shepherds failed, the people of God, that is, those who belong to God, I know, we talked about this during our meetings, including recently in Poznan, that you care deeply about the faith of the sheepfold entrusted to you, and that you wish that none of the sheep will go astray, that every believer entrusted to you gained eternal life with Christ. So let me close the words that appear at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Quote, Finally be strong in the power and might of the Lord. Put on the armor of God to withstand the cunning schemes of the devil, because we don't have to fight against people of the flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the armor of God, that ye may resist in the day of trouble, can accomplish and withstand anything, 
Stand then with your waists girded with you, your breastplate on with righteousness, your feet shod with readiness for the gospel of peace. Above all, take hold of the shield of faith. With it you can extinguish all fiery projectiles of evil, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit. That is the word of God. Don't stop praying and pleading. Pray in spirit at all times. Watch, persevere, and pray for all the saints, including me, that the right word may be given to me whenever I open my mouth to proclaim the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. I am in chains as his messenger, that I may speak boldly in him, as is my duty. See Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Best regards and fraternal greetings in Christ. Signed, Stanislaw Gadecki, Archbishop Metropolitan of Poznan, Chairman of the Polish Bishops' Conference, dated the 22nd of February, 2022, on the Feast of the Cathedral of Peter. There you have it. What is sad is that there is little fraternal correction happening with the German Synodal Way. Instead, we're seeing it embraced by the Vatican, and we know that its influence will be felt in all corners of the Church. I'm curious what you thought of that letter, and if you think it will have any effect. What, was Archbishop Gadecki correct in his assessment that the Church is going to repeat what he considers to be past mistakes regarding science with the social sciences at this time? That this road only leads to faithlessness. Let me know in the comments, please. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.